advice and opinions expressed by the host of Autism Live and her guests are meant solely as suggestion and should not be in any way construed as child-specific advice. Any choices you make in determining your child's treatment are completely at your own discretion. Dr. Doreen Grandpichet is the doctor. Dr. Doreen is an expert in autism. Doreen Grandpichet. Dr. Grandpichet. Dr. Doreen Grandpichet. Dr. Doreen Grandpichet is a visionary in the field of autism. Now you can ask her questions on Ask Dr. Doreen. I'm just grooving out to the music. I have I have headphones in today for the first time, so you guys are going to tell me if it sounds better for you because I'm on a different microphone. But I boy, I hear the show that much. I just don't hear myself the same way. So we're going to see how that goes. Good morning and welcome. Morning. I'm Shannon Penrod, and this is the Autism Network, and we're here for Ask Dr. Doreen. Dr. Doreen Grampuche is here. How lucky are we? We are actually live right now. Today is Wednesday, the 17th of November. November 2021. We are actually live in this moment. If you're tuning in to watch us right now this morning, it will be recorded later. And so that statement will be a lie later. It's all perspective, right? <laughs> in this moment, we are live and we are taking your comments uh, for Dr. Grampiche. You can be writing into us right now. We're live on Facebook, on YouTube, on Twitter, and about, I don't know, 16 other sites that Traven is flashing you on the screen there. We uh, encourage you to write in. We have some comments comments that came in on our website, autism-live.com, which that, the comment wasn't working as well, uh, but it's working again. So if you want to write in, I've got it open. So if you write in, I can actually see it. This is like, can you hear the angels singing? Um, <laughs> and and as we do the show this morning, if you tune in late and uh, you're like, ah, I missed that part. You, we always podcast our shows. We're a free download wherever you get your podcasts. We are the number one rated autism podcast worldwide. And that's because you guys download us, you share us, you tell other people about us, which is a really wonderful thing. We have to make sure that you know that Dr. Doreen is on TikTok. She is answering questions on TikTok. It's making me laugh whenever I hear that, Shannon. It's so funny. Me too. I have to giggle. I'm like, what universe are we living in? Ask Dr. Doreen on TikTok. Um, and we're also on, what's the other one that I can never think of where, uh, where, where all the kids go to, to watch each other play video games. We're, we're on that Twitch. We're on Twitch. Uh, you know, Okay, so we're, and, and if there's some place that we're not, that you're like, Shannon, I just don't understand why you guys aren't there. Will you please tell us? Because it's that we don't, we don't know. Uh, and we'd like to be there. I'm saying good morning to Missy, and I'm going to get to your question in just a second. Uh, so again, please write in. This whole show is meant to be interactive. We want to hear from you. This is a wonderful opportunity for you to talk to Dr. Doreen Grampiche, who is a true expert in the field of autism. She's a brilliant mind, a leader uh, in, in this industry. I believe the, the preeminent expert in our time. She's been working in this field for more than 40 years. Is that even possible? That's insane. Um, so, you know, don't, don't even ask. There's a painting aging underneath a bed somewhere for her because you don't even look like you're 40. So anyway, uh, but the truth is, is that we get the benefit of all that experience with her. You get to ask her a question. Please be as specific as possible. Write in whatever format works best for you. You can also write in to me, if it's during the week, you're watching this recorded and you're like, I just don't want to fuss with everything. Just send me an email, Shannon at autism-live.com. 
and I will bank that for the next live show with Dr. Grampiche. But we do like to give the disclaimer that there is no expert of in, in any field that can give individual specific advice in this particular format because they would want to have eyes on the situation the, out of respect for the person, right? So uh, please write in and be as specific as possible. Take a tour of Dr. Doreen's lovely mind, but understand that it is not individual specific and you'll take back what you've learned here to whatever the experts are who have eyes on the situation. Did I get that about right, Dr. Grampiche? Yeah, that's a, absolutely. We want to be very helpful, but we want to make sure our viewers, listeners know that it's very difficult to give accurate advice when I haven't seen or met the children that we're talking about or the patients. Yes, because it could be children, adults. I do want to make sure that I, I say that Dr. Grampiche has been working with individuals from babies through senior citizens for 40 years now. So it uh, could be anything. I'm gonna. We've got a bunch of questions that came in, but I'm going to jump to Missy's because Missy was so on it. Uh, Missy says, my autistic 11-year-old will shut down often when he has a sensory meltdown or is stressed. Sometimes he will not talk at all for hours. Is this something normal autistic kids do? And how can I help him? She says he will roll into a ball. Can I tell you, we used to say that my son would fold up like a lawn chair. Yeah. Right. Uh, so I'm sending you love, Missy. Yeah, Missy. So I guess... You know, my initial reaction, I wish these are one of those situations where I wish I was face to face and could ask you a bunch of questions. I, my initial reaction is, you know, can you help me understand a little bit more when you say what's a sensory meltdown or is stress? Because those could be the same thing, but they could also be very different things. So you could, you know, a sensory meltdown, I see a lot of my kids, like when they have just way overwhelmed with lights or sounds or those types of things, like going to a birthday party, then I see them absolutely wanting to isolate and get away from that and calm down. Totally fine, totally acceptable, totally normal. In fact, if you think about it, it's, it's the example I always use when, you know, Shannon knows that I always try to uh, experience the world from the, the person's perspective, from the autistic person's perspective, so I can understand it a little bit better. And I always uh, say, uh, yeah, and I see Missy's writing very loud noises, stresses like too many demands that he can't handle. Okay, those are two different things, so we'll talk about both of them. But I, my example when I say what it feels like to have autism is kind of like when I was in um, when I was in Hong Kong I, for the first time, I remember this so well, because, you know, you enter a world that's quite different. Um, the, the pollution level is definitely different than we are used to. It's much more congested. The, it's much, much more overpopulated. The sights and sounds are very different from we are used to in the United States. And um, it's a very... Uh, loud, lots and lots of neon lights. You cannot really read anything or understand stuff that's going on around you. So it's a very foreign world you feel like you've been dropped into. And it's a very intrusive world where unless you're used to it, it, it you know, so what I did, and obviously when you get to Hong Kong, you know, you're pretty jet lagged, right? Because it's a long mm -hmm. distance from the US. But and which is, uh, everything I just said is kind of like the daily experience of some of our kids, right? They don't sleep. 
They are, have signs, the sound, everything around them, lights and sounds are too intrusive. They don't really understand all the nuances of, of reading body language. Sometimes they don't understand language that's going on around them. In many cases, they can't find their way around. So you feel very out of control and you feel very just overwhelmed. And your, your reaction is, what was my reaction? go to my hotel room, shut all the curtains and uh, put no light on and just shut it down. Self-isolate and let your brain and everything calm down. So that's a very normal reaction and a very, I guess I would say adaptive in some ways, because what you're doing is you're kind of giving your body the time to calm down, right? You're allowing it's kind of like when we are we go and meditate. I mean, it's very similar to like meditation and deep breathing. So that is totally fine. Now, the other side though, what is stressed and, and Missy def defined for us, stress is like too many demands that he can't handle. That's a little different. And I'll tell you why. Um, so, you know, and, and forgive me because I'm going on minimal knowledge here. I don't know him very well, but you don't want your child to get into a habit of avoiding demands or escaping uh, demands from the environment. Uh, because, for example, uh, you know, when you're in class uh, and let's say the teacher is asking for a bunch of stuff, that's a lot of demand and you don't want your child to get into the habit of thinking this is just too much for me i'm going to leave and i need to now leave so to some extent not the sensory stuff because the sensory stuff is like you know very hard and not something we can help shape quickly you know you're sensory sensitive you're sensory sensitive it's gonna take a long 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 time before your senses adapt to the input but when it comes to adapting to demands you kind of want to help the child shape that a little bit and you want them to become a little bit more resilient a little bit more person like have a little bit more perseverance towards uh, tolerating demands because it'll strengthen their self-regulation right so it's kind of like okay I, and when I say self-regulation, this is what we all learn to do, some successfully and some not so successfully, but, or some in an adaptive way and some not so adaptive. But what we do, what do we do? We get up in the morning, we work really hard all day, and then at 5 o'clock or 6 o'clock, we give ourselves a reinforcer, right? So for some of us, it's just, I'm going to go take a shower or a bath or work out or whatever it is, which is adaptive. And for some people, it's like, give me a drink right now. I'm getting fast. <laughs> right? But somehow we regulate ourselves and we remind ourselves that this period of difficult, whatever demand it is, it's going to be followed by some sort of reward. And you want your children to learn that no matter what the demand is. So I know it's it might you want to make sure that it's not too stressful but you do want to help shape them to be able to receive some level of demand from their environment respond to it knowing that it's going to be rewarded that makes sense Shannon. totally makes sense i i think the you know the sensory thing 
I had an epiphany the other day because I am somebody who I describe myself as I get overwhelmed very easily. And, um, you know, when I was laughing, because when you were talking about the adaptive ways to handle overwhelm, I, I certainly, I was like, oh, those things aren't on my checklist, you know, or at least not traditionally for my life. I'm somebody who, you know, has a habit of eating my feelings. And if I have a feeling, it doesn't matter whether it's happy or sad. It's like, let's, let's eat. Um, <laughs> do you know what I mean? But it's interesting, recently I've started to notice and apply what I learned about watching my son go through this. So that, that we gave him a tool chest for when he was feeling too much to be able to ask for a break, but a break doesn't mean forever. Um, or that sometimes we would have him um, just do part of it yes. so that there was movement on it. Um, or, and we would incorporate things like a breathing, let's take a breath first and then let's do a part of it. And let's make sure that there's a reinforcer for having done a part of it. Um, and as an adult in my life, nobody taught me that for myself. Yes. Um, but I, but I think that one of the amazing things about this is, you know, I very much believe in the studies that say that the best way to teach something is, uh, the best way to learn something is to have to teach it. That's and for, for me as an adult, having gone through this with my son is, is now all these years ago, you know, he did all this, but I'm still, the other day I was like, okay, wait a second. I have a toolkit because we taught him how to have a toolkit. Yes. And it is amazing how well it works. Instead of completely Definitely. avoiding, um, I can take a break sometimes. And that means, you know, that's as simple as getting up and using the restroom or taking a drink. Yeah. Um, or, you know, making a quick phone call, but not a four hour phone call, you know, cause I'm good at the avoiding thing. But so I, I just want to throw my two cents in there. I think we all get overwhelmed and that the toolkit works for all of us. So and what a powerful thing for your kiddo. I'm so glad, I'm so glad you said that because that is, that's kind of the, the way you shape things, right? It's like you start, you learn that you know and this is how we teach almost everything it's like the if you want to teach a pile it's going to be too much so break it down right and it's the same thing with our own lives as well i'm still pretty bad at that i'll be honest shannon like what i tend to do is i still will go until i i like my limit at least i've learned that i need to stop before i end up being in the hospital for exhaustion which mm -hmm. has happened twice mm -hmm. in my life so but now i at least what i do is i'm like okay i recognize these signs in myself where this is too much it's too much let me just keep you know and it, i'll go for like a week of that and then i'll be like okay i need to get away from this completely and then i will just put it away for a week so it's like longer periods but you're right if we can get into the habit of exactly what you said which is just shorter phases of things that we feel are overstimulating or over or demanding uh it, it like i said make it make the environment fair increase the reinforcer reduce the demand that's always the solution and i and i love that uh, i quote you on so many different things but i think the most i that 
often that I quote you is we have to make it fair. And yeah. it's forced me to have to, oh, an earbud has fallen out. It's an emergency. Uh, <laughs> this is going to happen a lot. But it's forced me to look at that. But not only can I just say, because we've been talking a lot about self-care this week, not only for our kiddos, we have to put ourselves in their shoes and say, you know, we may not be able to understand exactly what's going on in their head, but just if we start from our own perspective and say, if I were them, yeah. would, would this be fair? That's a great place to start. It isn't now the other one has fallen out. Okay. Uh, <laughs> it's a great, it's a great place to start um, to begin to understand and have empathy. But, um, but I think we need to do that for ourselves too. Um, yeah. you know, I, was, I was talking to a mom yesterday and I said, you're, I always say to moms, my goodness, you're doing such a good job. And this mom, like so many moms was like, I'm really not. And, and I said, let's, let's back this up a minute and look at what you're dealing with and what you're facing and what you've accomplished. You're doing great. You yeah. can't be wonder woman. Yeah. Like let's get real. And, and, and I, and I heard that and I, and I know that I needed to hear that sometimes as a mom too. So making it fair yeah. is a big deal. And I want to share something with you. Interesting that you bring up this whole concept of like moms taking care or dads, parents yes, uh, yes. of kids with special needs taking care of themselves. Because for some strange reason, this uh, recently, just two nights ago, kind of came back to me that, and, and what came back to me was that I really would like to spend the rest of my life uh, in that arena like really helping parents feel better about themselves and to just take care better care about them and I'll tell you why it's really interesting because you know Shannon that I've always said and I, I remember very specifically the, the particular moms who and I was like you know a student at UCLA and I had somehow landed the job of taking uh, charge of the autism clinic at UCLA. And I was just, you know, I was a doctoral student, but it was, it was a pretty like bigger than me job at that point. Right. And I was like, okay, I need to take care of all these kids who were coming in at night. And it was, it was a different era and a different age where we had, you know, clinics starting at five, 6 PM and then going through until 9 PM. But, and I would run multiple clinics and take care of the kids, but it was the moms who, or the dads who just, you know, touched my heart and, and made me want to really stay in this field and really want to do everything that I can for their children. Because the type of person I am is that I will just try to fix it for you. Right. So moms would and come, we love that about you. <laughs> but I mean moms would come and say, like, how do I what like they would pour their whole heart out to me and tell me how torn they were in regards to the future, right? How how do I reestablish a whole new life? How do I accept this? How do I move forward with all my goals having changed? All that. And my immediate reaction was I'm going to fix your job. I'm going to work hard. I'm going to fix this for you, right? So my world went into how do I help the kids? How do I help the kids? But the truth is I am, before becoming a, a, a behavior analyst, I'm, I'm a psychologist. I'm a licensed psychologist. And now that I am kind of separate from CARD, 
and I have uh, given up my role as CEO of CARD and I am not doing that anymore. So therefore, I also don't necessarily have the resources of 5,000 behavior technicians. I, it's me now, right? And so for me, and I was thinking about this a few nights ago, what do I really want to do? And, and, and it is a joy for me to answer questions for parents here. But what I really want to do is also talk to parents about taking care of themselves and like valuing yourselves and learning how important it is for you to be okay. And that it will be okay. <clears throat> no matter what happens, it'll be okay. And that you will be okay. And, you know, and so it's kind of funny that it just came up on our show now, this subject. Well, you know, what's super fun about that is that I feel like that that um, has been a big part of my last 10 years is that I've wanted to talk to parents and say, look at all these people you can talk to. Look, look at this hope over here. Look at this inspiration over here. Look, that's been my last 10 years. And then I had the epiphany in June that part, I still want to be doing that. That's still really important to me, but I want to spend more time talking to the people who are doing the work with our kids. So it's like, it's like you and I are going like this because I, there, there was that moment when my son walked across the, the stage to get his diploma graduating with honors. And we only had four tickets because of COVID and we invited you to come and you weren't able to come. So we had that ticket. And I think I told you, we had Peter Farrig, his first therapist ever come with us yes. and who's, who just stood there and sobbed. Yes. And every time, every time my son would do something, he would wave to a friend or shout out to a friend, or they were taking pictures and he had this group of guys that they were taking all, and everybody was taking pictures of this group of guys that my son was in the middle and Peter just weeping. And he said, Oh my gosh, Oh my gosh, Oh my gosh. And I was like, why are you so stunned and surprised? You're the person who like showed me that this was possible. And he's like, and he said, but you know, I don't get to see it every day. Yeah. And I went, oh, we need yeah. to be showing these yeah. people to feed their bank, to remind yeah. them oh, yeah. that. So uh, it's okay. We're gonna, we, we, yeah. we have this well in hand, Dr. Grampuche. We, we got <laughs> things to do and people to talk to. Um, but, I, but I love that you're going to teach us about self-care because I should never be in charge of self-care. <laughs> I haven't figured it out yet. Listen, um, I so. what you said earlier is true that the best way to learn something is by teaching it because I got to yeah. learn about it too. But you know, I like, I, I do actually now that I'm like entering the world of social media, I've started to like see some of these sites that are all about self-care, but also about like, I'm, you know, I, I would like to believe that I, I'm a spiritual person. So in some ways, like I really do want to, you know, the more you connect with this, the universe and kind of feel like things are going in, in the right path and you have a, you get a level of safety from the fact that everything will be okay. And that's kind of a lot of what I'm also learning and, and hopefully we'll get the chance to share more with parents. Yeah, and and listen, I we will happily sit at our feet. You clearly understand the self care thing, and I'm, I know we can all be better. But I I shared on Monday that my big goal right now is to moisturize, <laughs> and that and then a friend of mine was like, I think you could aim higher, 
And I was like, no, you don't understand. That is Mount Everest for me. Moisturizing Mount, Mount Everest. Uh, but it does improve the quality of my life. So I'm putting, uh, I'm putting some energy into that. All right. I'm switching back to questions. Dark Angel has said, and uh, this is a quality, quality thing. My three and a half year old son, uh, who's been talking to himself in gibberish, has reduced that. And now he has started using words I can understand, even if it is directed to me. Uh, is uh, And so I'm, I'm, I'm just asking, is it that you can't understand or can understand? But she says, does it mean that there is hope for him to talk again? Yeah. And, you know, my first, my first uh, reaction to that is, did he talk and stop talking? Like, I want to know more about that, but absolutely uh, you know, just like the world, it's very interesting. In ABA, what we try to do is figure out how the child received messages from the world around them that supported and encouraged the child to do challenging behaviors, right? An example of that is child hits. By hitting, they get some object they want, and then hitting becomes a very effective way of communicating, right? The universe also has a, a, once in a while, something will happen that reverses that. And so in other words, it's not always that you have to change the environment. Clearly with him, something in his environment has changed or did change where the gibberish is not getting what he was getting out of it before whether that was attention or maybe it was auditory stimulation that he no longer needs, whatever it is, clearly it's not having a, any kind of use to him. So now he has started to say things and that's amazing. That's incredible and how wonderful and absolutely you need to encourage this as much as you possibly can and in fact, I'd go above and beyond that and say, you need to like start helping, teaching him, rewarding it, like really uh, giving him a path to expand his language and express himself but and do it delicately so that it is not aversive to him, but also give him a massive amount of reward for it. Just excellent and congratulations. And I don't know if you could see what she was writing in as you were talking, that he used to talk. Um, but now he understands everything except expressing himself, but he is, he is beginning to talk again. Uh, but she credits going to the Taka conference and starting on a supplement. And I'm so glad that you had an opportunity to go to that Taka conference. Can I just say, we, we gave away a total of thanks to Taka. We gave away a total of 50 tickets for people to go to that conference. And at least one person has written me and said that they never got the code. The code, if you were granted, if you got a notification that you uh, got the, you were, could go, um, that code is good until December 31st. So if for some reason you haven't gone um, or you didn't, um, you didn't ever get your code and you were on that list. I already have the list from the 50 people. Please write back to me, even if you think you already have, because our email has been changing um, so that I can make sure I get the code to you because uh, several people have written in and said that they've learned a lot 
uh, which I would expect from a TACA conference. So I'm so glad awesome. to hear that, Dark Angel. Uh, um has written into us and said, hello, gorgeous ladies. But when you were talking about how tough it is for the parents and the caregivers, she shared that she cries every night. And I don't want to leave that unsaid because I think that there are a lot of people out there that can relate to that and the feelings that come with that. I'm, I'm giving you a virtual hug. Uh, Dr. Grampuche, do you want to say anything about that? Yeah, I mean, it breaks my heart and I can't pretend to know what parents are going through. And of course, we all deal with heartbreak in different ways. But I think that most of the time, I think it's a combination of uh, just the kind of, you know, why did this have to happen and, and fear. Right. And I think maybe and, and I will learn a lot more from parents as time goes by. And I'd love to hear what our viewers think, but I'm not sure which one is more. If it's just, you know, depression about what has happened or, or apprehension about the future. And I think a lot of parents have always come to me and said, I'm just worried about his future. And that is, I think, a really, really big part of what parents go through. But I think there, you know, going back to that first mom who kind of changed my life, I think it's also just this devastating sadness about how do I, uh, you know, reimagine the life that I thought I would have. Am I right, Shannon? It's a, it's a combination of those two things, right? Yeah. Well, and I think, you know, for me, there was a part of, am I up for this? For me personally, my biggest fear was, I mean, like, like, let's list all the fears, right? It would take us a week, but I certainly worried about, was he going to be okay in the world? And especially when I'm not here, we all worry about that. But I, my biggest fear on the path was I'm not going to be up to being, you know, we see all these people, especially the autism moms that, you know, we think yeah. of as being the, the super moms. Mm -hmm. And whenever somebody mistakenly thinks I'm one of those, I always correct them and go, <laughs> whoa, Nelly, there, there will be no parenting award for me. Um, but, you know, we see that. And I just felt very sure that I was not up to that, that I was, and that I was going to be the person who was going to drop the ball that yeah. it was going to be my fault that he wouldn't get where he could get because I didn't know, or I couldn't do it. Interesting. Um, Interesting. And, 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 you know, the core of it is that you actually are one of those super moms, but there is something that is preventing you from believing that. I know, I know you don't believe it, but there's, you know, and, and the, the thing about being a super mom is, is not having gone through everything, you know, like a movie star, <laughs> but it's, it's about having gotten through it and having, no matter where you end up, right? I mean, and it's <clears throat> obviously it's harder for parents who have to work through things for a lifetime, but nevertheless, it's about continuing to move forward. That's the super mom. It's about continuing to move forward. And I think all of the parents, and I see Swathi has written in that we as parents have to get through the circle of depression before we can think of helping them. And that is a, a thousand percent the truth. And a lot of parents, Swathi, and this is what concerns me, 
is that a lot of parents just get stuck in that phase of depression. <clears throat> and depression is, is mostly due to fear. And it's like, you know, fear of the future, fear of not being a good enough mom, fear of what will happen to him, fear of how am I going to live my life, fear of all of that. And it's extremely difficult. And, and I really just want to kind of learn ways to help parents take it day by day and, and move forward because truly there's beauty in all of it, right? And it isn't, it, there's just, there's, and we just have to start seeing it. Yeah, I think it's super important that we all find an outlet um, and everybody's outlet is different. For me, the only thing that I really had access to that did it for me during those tough years was writing. Um, I know other people who paint. I know other people who exercise, um, you know, dance, do whatever. But for me, it was writing. And I would try to write whenever I could. And a lot of it was just for me and exercise and where I could put, I could dump all of my feelings and my thoughts and whatever. Um, but uh, three years ago, I, I felt the impetus because things had reached a point where it was important to me on a lot of different levels. I took a lot of that writing and, and wrote a one woman comedy show called the autism monologues. Cause that's how my, my head is like a clown car. And every once in a while, we got to let some of the clowns out. <laughs> and, and in the very end of the show is a monologue. That's probably my favorite part of the show. That's called the bridge. And I, in it, I say, and I'm just going to paraphrase here that for me, um, becoming an autism, a mom of a person on the spectrum, it, it's like being shoved out onto a bridge. I didn't choose to be on the bridge. I didn't, you know, nobody asked me if I wanted to do that, but I'm on a bridge that I can't see the end of it. I can't see where it goes. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. There's no clear signs. And so I have to pick up my child and start walking on the bridge. And it's scary. And every once in a while, you turn back and look at the people on land and think, what must it be like to be them? And, and you think to yourself, why am I here? How come I, you know, why? And, and, and the phrase I use in the show is, why did I get served this poop sandwich? Right? You feel, you feel bad about, like, what did I do to deserve to be here on the bridge? But you keep walking and an amazing thing happens somewhere on the bridge you notice that there are other people on the bridge yeah and somehow somehow they're making it work which begs yeah. the question how yeah and you start to learn from them yeah and that for some of us not all of us but for some of us we get to a place on the bridge where we get to acceptance which is not the same as contentment and we realize i'm on the bridge I'm going to yeah. make the most of being on the bridge. I'm going to take every day as it comes. I'm going to see what it holds. I'm not going to have an expectation of what it holds, but I'm going to keep moving. I'm going to keep learning and I'm going to stop worrying about what's happening on the land. Yeah. And I'm going to stop trying to get back to the land. I'm going to be on the bridge and I'm going to see because there are amazing things on the bridge. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I um, uh, Shannon, you are, <clears throat> your screen is frozen. I don't know. If... Sorry. Oh, there my, you are. My internet went buggy. Sorry about that. But the thing about it is, is if you can get to that point on the bridge, it's where the good stuff starts to happen. When you yeah. let go of all the, why did this happen to me? Yeah. Um, and start living in the moment. And, and I think that for most parents, 
that doesn't come until the teen years. Yeah. And for a, for a lot of parents, accepting that comes with a certain amount of grief because it means letting go of one thing for another. Yeah. But I will tell you that everybody that I know that's gotten to that place on the bridge, it's a place where we truly accept ourselves. Mm-hmm. And I had to accept the fact that I am not going to be a perfect parent. That is not going to be my story, but that I can be the best parent I can be today, which might yeah. be better than it was yesterday and worse than it's going to be tomorrow. But but it also means accepting my son for who he is, not who I wanted him to be, not who I expected him to be, but who he is. And when when I can do that, I'm at my best parenting, my best. That's amazing. That's incredible. I I I guess I <clears throat> I just I want to. So you know, when you go through it as a parent, Shannon, and um, and all of our parents who are watching, it is a it's just like kind of some you know you're going through it day by day, and so it is a much different journey that than than when someone from the outside observes it, right? Because when someone from the out, you're living it, right, and it's a longer process when you live it. And of course, you are focused on just surviving for a long, long time. I think parents are focused on, I will survive this. I will survive this. I will survive this. I want to, I guess I look at, and I was thinking about this a couple of nights ago and it's the last couple of days. I, have, I look at parents of kids with special needs in a very different way. And I don't know that anyone has ever... Like I, I don't know if it's even possible for me to help, like to get parents to see it my way, <laughs> because because we're, <laughs> so- I say that is because you're living it and I'm not right, and so but here's how I see parents. Um, so you know, like uh, you know, in in real in life, there's those people who will enroll in the army. They'll just go and enlist. Right. And they'll say, I'm going to enlist in the army and I'm going to help protect this world, this country, whatever it is. And they do it. And it's by their choice that they do it. Right. Other times they're it's not by choice. Maybe all of these thoughts are coming to me because recently my son and I were watching Band of Brothers, you know, the the Mm -hmm. series, which is an incredible series. But I was thinking like these folks were all kind of not, they weren't in, enlisted. They were pulled into a, a hor- horrible war and they had to go through a period of training and their job was to protect. And they went forward and they did this at their own, uh, you know, many of them, and I'm not even talking about the ones who actually died in war, but many of them lived a traumatic life right? Many soldiers to this day do. But I look at parents of kids with autism or other special needs in a, in a similar way. I look at it as, you know, some soldiers who are pulled in or not, you know, they're just, you have to go to war. Some soldiers make it and others, it's just harder for them to make it, but they do their best. But you're pulled into a scenario that you're not necessarily thrilled about, right? You don't want to necessarily be on that bridge. But what you're doing is there's a bigger there's a bigger picture to what parents have done. It's funny because yesterday I was doing an interview for the parenting magazine, and we were talking about depression in adults and adolescents with autism. And that's what I was talking. I was talking about everything that has 
changed. And this is from someone who's observed it for 42 years, where when I started, we had autism wards in mental institutions, right? Camarillo, I did some of my postdoctoral internship in Camarillo where there were three autism wards. So when someone was diagnosed with autism, they'd be put away in a mental institution. Look at where we are now. And do you think that any of this changed because there was like a really good like doctor or lawyer or something? No, everything that has changed was because of the mission and drive of a parent. So everything, whether it's health insurance or looking acceptance, look at what Autism Speaks has done. Guess what? They were parents and grandparents. Look at what all the, so it's about this group, this army, it's a very long war, but the overall change for the world of autism is occurring. And there was supposed to be a movement that had to happen. I mean, today we talk about diversity, for instance, right? Think about how long it took for women to vote, just that on itself, right? That took ages. Look at how fast, if you wanna compare it to something like that, look at how fast we've come, how far we've come in the world of autism. There are treatments, there's a lot of research and money going into finding out what are the causes. People now accept that it's about toxicity. There's a lot of acceptance about sensory issues. The diagnostic manual recognizes sensory issues. There's insurance. There's medication. I mean, it's the, the advancements for future kids. It's, so it's a cycle and, I, and you guys are the army and you're the soldiers who could handle it. It's just that simple, you know? And so that's kind of how I look at it. And I know that it's tough being a soldier. It's not easy being part of that army, but yeah, I'll stop there. We're going off on a completely different thing. But I, but I will say that I am one of those people that has found the place where I consider it now a privilege. Yeah. I, I have the privilege of being my son's parent and I have the privilege of having gone on a journey with him that is meaningful to me and meaningful to him. And we try every day to make that, I'm see, I'm gonna cry. We try to make that relevant and meaningful for anybody else who can benefit from it. That's part of our mission in life. Uh, I know that there were many days early on when I would hear people say, well, I feel like it's a blessing and a privilege. And I would go, oh, um, and I thought that they were crazy. Um, I don't wanna negate how difficult it is for people, but I, I do need to claim my seat that I consider it a privilege now. Um, and, and to give that per perspective to someone who's in a place where they can't imagine it, there's a possibility that you will feel and say that one day too, and I hope that'll be true for you. I do want to address, Louise has written in and said, would you answer a question even with going from Canada? Yes, of course, we don't discriminate. We, we have questions from Pakistan and from Zimbabwe way and wherever wherever you would like to so um she she says we have nobody to reach here as far as i know i would do anything in the world if i could talk to you our kiddo is going through something really uh 
tough, I think is, um, so please, I've, I've written in and said, please, please, please ask your question. Uh, Dark Angel also wanted us to know that her son is more affectionate now than before his diagnosis. And would you have any idea, Dr. Grampichet, about why that might be? I mean, sometimes it's just about age, right? And it's like, there, when our kids are very, very young, which is usually when they're getting diagnosed, there's a lot going on and there's a lot of demands and there's a, we don't know what's going on. And so we're also not accommodating their environment and we're not rewarding them just as much. And we're frustrated and trying to figure out what's on, what on earth is going on. And that, you know, the, the child is under more stress at that time, right? So once we know the diagnosis and once we figure out the path, uh, that obviously, the you know, starts to work, hopefully. And I always say that you, what you'll see with ABA also, for example, as a treatment, and it's not the only thing, but what you'll see is that there will be a, an initial adjustment period, but then things should, with good quality ABA, get to a point where you are, actually your child is much, much, much happier, much more expressive of emotions and so on, because now they have people they can communicate with, people they trust, people who become their support system, their friends and so on. So that's a possibility. It's also a possibility that like one of the things that we don't ever think about Shannon, but it's true is that, you know, there's a lot of underlying, I just did a lecture for, uh, 400 BCBAs. And I was talking to them about this, talking to them about the fact that, you know, as behaviorists, usually behaviorists are just looking at overt behavior, but there's, this is a live human being with millions of things going on biochemically. And you have to learn what's going on. Is the, is the individual sleeping? Do they feel good today? Do they have a stomach ache? Do they have... There's so many illnesses and anxieties. Do the, does the person have anxiety to, you know? And so that's also possible uh, that your child, something else was going on, right? And maybe they had like, I don't know, gastrointestinal inflammation, which has now improved. And now they're feeling better. So and when you feel better, you become just happier and more affectionate. So there's a lot of reasons why that could be, but it's a great thing. It's a great yeah. thing. And, and you know, that it sounds like the, your child's feeling better and also now expressing themselves. And by the way, expressing yourself and people listening and understanding always makes you feel better. Think about that, you know? Yeah, ain't that the truth. And, I, you know, there's a, there's a slide in one of your presentations that says, it, uh, in order to, I'm going to paraphrase it, but in order to change someone else's behavior, we have to change ours first. And if you think about it, your behavior might have changed as a result of getting the diagnosis, which in turn could have potentially changed his behavior. So isn't that an amazing thing? We had a question that came in in the night. Uh, actually, it was from a couple of nights ago. Uh, hello, I have a 10-year-old boy with ASD and a neurotypical six-year-old. My son teases his sister every chance he gets. It's almost automatic. As soon as he sees her, he starts in right away making fun of whatever she's doing, wearing, playing, etc., calling her a baby and other names. It's mostly verbal, but sometimes he even gets physical with her. It's difficult to stop him. 
we have house rules uh, that say that there are no unkind words, but he still teases. He knows he loses time on the computer, which is his favorite thing. He is, uh, if he is mean to his sister, but he continues. It's draining. We need expert advice and thank you. Yeah, so I'm trying, I, I think if I got it right, the 10 year old is the son. And he is yep. on the spectrum, correct? And, and the yes. is neurotypical. Yes, a girl. And is, yes, yes. exactly. Yeah. You have it right. So I, you know, sometimes one of the things we do is uh, we take away reinforcers and we're like, how come this isn't working? And the reason is that there's two, the connection between the reinforcer removal, which we call response cost. And the action of teasing or whatever it is, is too distant. They're just not close enough in the sense that the, the child isn't figuring out that his behavior caused him. And I know you probably tell him, but it's not, an, <clears throat> it's either too far away from each other or it's not enough. Like he couldn't care less. The value of making fun of his sister is higher to him than losing time on the computer. Or, uh, you know, he makes fun of his sister and he gets immediate gratification and losing the computer later on or losing computer time later on is, okay, not a big deal. It's just not as much of a big deal. And by the way, a lot of times our kids don't have a concept of time. So if you're like reducing his computer time by five minutes, he might not even realize that, recognize that as something that he's giving up. Like instead of- Can I just jump in and say that yes. this is why dieting doesn't work? Because yes. I'm yes. sitting there with a piece of cake <clears throat> and I think to myself, I shouldn't eat this cake because then yes. I'm not going to look good in my skinny jeans three weeks from now. And I go- I'm going to eat that cake right now exactly. uh, because it's not connected to yes. the, in the skinny jeans. Yeah. So almost Sorry. everything, no, that's absolutely right. And that's a great example, Shannon. And almost everything we do, you have the short-term reinforcer and the long-term reinforcer. And long-term reinforcers, just because they're further out, are less uh, powerful. It's really that simple. That's also why a lot of times, like as a parent, you might let your child come and sleep with you because the short-term reinforcer is you get sleep. Whereas in terms of long-term, it's not a good thing because you don't want your 18-year-old sleeping with you, right? You know what I mean? We never, it's harder for us to think of the long-term. It's much easier for short-term. So that could be one of the reasons that your reinforcer situation is not working. What you need to do is, you can do a lot of things. There's a lot of things you can do. You, uh, you, you should give him a link. And the way we link long-term payoff or response cost to an, an action that occurred right now is through visuals. So you can give him what's called a token chart or, you know, so which is like just a piece of paper and maybe you have five, boxes on the paper and if he um, is nice to his sister he gets a happy face in there if he's mean to his sister he gets a sad face in there and if he gets you know initially you want to do one sad face no more computer time or five sad faces no more computer time but the important thing is that he has to connect the two items like you do this that's what the payoff is now 
That's the kind of punitive portion of it. The other portion of it is that you basically need to prevent that. You need to stop the behavior and instead, I mean, assuming, and let's just try to figure out what is the function of this behavior. Why is he teasing his sister? What happens when he teases his sister? Does he then get a lot of attention from you? Is he doing it because he's jealous of her attention and wants your attention? Do you get upset with him? Which is negative attention is attention. It doesn't matter. Does he enjoy making her cry? What is the function? What is he getting out of it when he does that? That's the key to, to figuring out what to do because once you've figured out what the function is, and you and, and for our viewers, remember, it's always about gaining access to something or avoiding something, okay? And it could be avoiding an activity or, you know, a, a location, a, a demand, whatever. It could be gaining access to a tangible, to attention, to an activity, whatever it is. Figure out what the function is. And then what you do is, you prevent that function by, from being met when he makes fun of her, but you make sure that he gets his reward by not making fun of her. One of the ways that I often like to teach siblings or to have our kids you know, work with siblings is just teaching them an activity that they have to do together in order to gain a reward. It always, when you make teams out of people, from people, they, they tend to become, you know, and you give them the same reward for something they can only accomplish together, it, they, they automatically become a close bond. But let's find out for that family, let's find out why, he, what is he getting out of, of teasing the sister? Yeah, there's a little part of me that wonders, um, is that the only, like, <clears throat> somewhere he learned teasing. So did he learn teasing because somebody was teasing him and he thinks that's the way to connect and that's the only way he has to connect with her? So I love this idea of having them do something together to get a reward. Um, there's a very that's famous- actually, That's also a very good point, Shannon, that you're making, you're right. These things really, it's hard for us to address these things because we really don't know the circumstances and we don't know the level of functioning, but you're so right. Um, there's a very famous um, speaker who um, does business coaching. And one of the things that he, people pay a lot of money to go to his conferences. And one of the things that he does is that there's a competition early on in the, the thing where he has these bicycle kits brought in and um, he assigns people teams and it's, it's a race to see which team can put the bicycle together so that it works and, and do it quickly. And it bonds people for the rest of the conference. What I love is by the end of the conference, he, uh, this speaker has um, kids that are um, from an underserved neighborhood come in and makes them give the bike directly to the kids. Right. So the work that they've done suddenly takes on a meaning and that reinforcer is right there. They thought the reinforcer was the winning the who got it done fast, but ev everyone cries. It's like yeah. craziness. That's right. Um, so make your kids do something together. Um, and I think also, I'm, I'm just going to throw this in because I think it's, it's a very timely thing this time of year. 
having your kids volunteer with people who are um, maybe less fortunate than they are. And next week, Thanksgiving here in the United States, what a wonderful, wonderful thing. Uh, if you can find a place where it's safe, you know, whether if it's handing out food or something that's appropriate for your kids, what a great thing. Um, I do want to thank Swathi for, she wrote in and said um, that she says she wouldn't have it any other way and that she's truly privileged to be series mom. And I see that in everything that you do and everything you bring to the work that you do, Swathi. She says, uh, my son was jealous. He would say that he wishes he had some autism so that he could spend, so that I could spend more time with him, which I think leads to talking a little bit about what it is like for the siblings. Yeah, absolutely. Um, absolutely. And yeah. it is very hard. And I want to say hi, Swathi. It's nice to have you uh, visiting us on our show. And um, Swathi is another one of those super moms that I think that, you know, has done a tremendous job. And uh, let's let's plug Siri's jewelry here a little bit. <laughs> designs by siri check it out you guys you're if you're doing your holiday shopping you should start there absolutely i totally agree and and that's the thing it's like a parent i am you know there are other parents that you and i both know shannon as well who have um just taken their you know one of the things designs by siri there you go and you know you have by doing this Siri is also enjoying her life and contributing and doing an incredible thing. And you've done such an amazing job getting to that point. And there are other parents who've also done that with, in other ways with art and so on. And, and it is all about finding kind of that, that functional answer. So that, that place where both the parent and the child are able to contribute back to the army. Yeah. Yeah. And and we were talking about siblings and I always tell parents, you got to really pay attention to the siblings because before you know it, the sibling is the one that uh, starts to do all sorts of stuff to gain attention. And it is super, super, super important to have uh, private time, individual time with the sibling. Uh, to make sure that you are seeing things also from the siblings perspective, because honestly, you know, so many, like, especially when we used to, Card used to send therapists to homes a lot, and you'd have, you know, a team of really cool people coming and spending time with the autistic child, and then the other child with, like, the sibling had, like, completely left out. And so it is really important to, to make sure as parents that you are uh, taking care of, listening to, hearing the needs of, understanding what's happening with the sibling, understanding how they feel. Like so many times we just kind of like think, oh, the sibling is there, thank God he's gonna take care of the child uh, on the spectrum. And, And sometimes you just have to think like, how does the sibling feel about all of this? And that's super important as well. But I will maintain that I think that um, siblings and family members, whenever there's somebody who's differently abled in the family, I think, I think it makes for some pretty incredible people. The siblings that I have met of individuals on the spectrum, they're they're the most they're the leaders of the future, and I and I look around at my friends. I mean, I never identified this way uh, because I didn't 
know any other thing, but my mother was differently abled, um, physically differently abled. And I didn't realize all the things that that put into my backpack to help me to be able to get through the challenges of my life. Um, and it does, it just does. Um, so, so spend the time with the siblings, but I, but I want people to realize that those kids grow up to be amazed. They have more empathy and more skills than anybody else. Yes. Isn't that the truth? Agreed. Agreed. Um, last question, and then we're going to be out of time here, but they want to know, is Dr. Doreen accepting adult patients who need an autism diagnosis? Yeah, I am. And I am happy to uh, do diagnostics uh, when I can. I am licensed in a bunch of states, not every state. So reach out, let us know where you are. And I would uh, try to see if I can help you. There we go. And for Louise and anybody else, Louise who wanted from Canada wanted to know if she could get a question answered and you absolutely can. And it doesn't end as we end the show here. You can write to me, Shannon at autism live.com. And then we'll put your question into the next mix. Or if you want to get on Dr. Grampy personal calendar, you can send that to me. I'm not the person who will, will figure that out, but I will give it to the person who does. I just want everybody to be clear. I don't handle Dr. Doreen's schedule. Um, I would make a mess of that. <laughs> so, but a brighter also, mind does that. But also um, a lot of people have started asking questions now on TikTok, yes. which is another way that you can get your questions answered uh, there's a, you just write in the comments or in the chat what, what your question is, and I will be happy to, and I'll actually answer it in a live video. And we are now setting up, Shannon, I guess, a information tab as well so that people can, who don't want to share their questions publicly uh, can put their questions in there, and then I will answer them as well. Very, very cool. I absolutely love that. This alternate universe that we're living in. Dr. Doreen on TikTok. Uh, Check it out. It's super fun. It's super fun. I'm now on TikTok because Dr. Doreen is. Um, So that's really fun. Uh, We're out of time though. Dr. Grampuche, I just want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for everything that you do for all of us and how much that has meant. I know Swathi wrote in about how much it's meant to her. Let me let me not let the hour go without saying how much it's meant to me. And I know that I'm speaking for so many other people, how life changing having you in our lives has been. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, guys, we're back tomorrow live and we're excited, uh, to be here because we're revving up on Tuesday, the toy guides coming out and it's almost time for festival of toys. And that's all I have on my mind. So, uh, Hey Jasper, um, so glad to have you here. So we will be back tomorrow, but please feel free to write in your questions. Shannon at autism live.com until, until we're back tomorrow, give your kiddos a hug for me and one for you as well. Bye-bye for now. Bye-bye.